the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's edition of The Situation Report. This is the show where we give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolnicker, and I'm very grateful to have you with me today. Looking forward to a very helpful conversation. When we talk about culture and we talk about the way that things change, perhaps nothing has changed culture more than the Internet. When the Internet came along, there were skeptics, of course, but as time has demonstrated, the most powerful tool for cultural change has been the World Wide Web. And we talk about regulation and what that should look like and how best we should approach all of those issues. And if you are like me, talking about regulating the internet, regulating the flow of information, dealing with social media platforms can become very, very confusing. All of those are here to stay. All of those are a part of every one of our lives. We know that. But how should we approach government regulation, government oversight? This was in the news recently, again, this week, as another Facebook whistleblower came out, and as our guest will talk about, this time, a whistleblower who's calling for more censorship and not less. Confusing times, but times we need to understand. And for that reason, I'm so grateful to have an expert on with us today, our guest, Alam Bakari. He is an author, the senior technology correspondent at Breitbart News, and uh, most notice, notably, infamously or famously, however you want to look at this, I guess, uh, in 2018, he obtained and published the Google tape. And uh, as we get, get started, kind of get into this, we're going to talk about Section 230 in just a second and kind of the implications of the whistleblower this week and all these things that have happened. But can you give us an overview of the Google tape, what that was, and kind of what that means for us? So the Google tape was a one-hour recording that I obtained in 2018, and what it showed was Google's all-hand meeting that they held with full company employees uh, a couple of days after the election of Donald Trump in 2016. So this was uh, Google holds these meetings every week. They're called TGIF meetings, and you know the leaders of the company, the CEO, uh, the co-founders at the time, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Uh, num- numerous other executives they were all up on stage addressing the company and uh, discussing the election and uh, what this tape showed was uh, not just that you know Google's management were an ideological lockstep that they were all horrified at the election results um, one Google executive in the tape was crying because of the because of the election results in 2016 sure, sure. Uh, she then instructs uh, Google employees to do a company-wide group hug uh, to you know, to get over their emotional trauma, you know, uh, a Republican being elected to the of White course. House. Yes, of um, course. Uh, but uh, you know, that, that's that's the funny side of the tape. But like the sinister side is that you also hear, you know, the leaders of Google, the most powerful technology company in the world, talking about how they're going to change their product, change their services, right. uh, make sure information can get to so-called low information voters, tackling fake news, make all of these changes. Um, in response to an election result. So yeah. they're openly talking about, you know, 
radically overhauling that product because the wrong guy won an election. And that was really the story of Silicon Valley after 2016. How do we stop this from happening again? And you and in this paper, you see the leaders of Google discussing this openly in front of all their employees. That's incredible. Uh, and and really, that was the first time I think a lot of us really understood just how deep that went. And that you hear about manipulation, we hear about this and that, but that it is... Um, to use a word that's thrown around right now, it's systemic. <laughs> this is something that exists within the structure of the organization. Uh, this week, we had a whistle, whistleblower, Frances Hagen, I think is her name, uh, who worked at Facebook. She came out and she talked about some of the um, advertising targeting and some of the other practices at Facebook. I, I don't know if it's connected. I'm sure you have an opinion. But then Facebook and Instagram went down. Um, a lot of things have happened this week in the censorship space and trying to understand some of that. Which brings up Section 230 again, and, and this is something we've talked about on this show. Others have spent some time talking about, but it really raises the question of how much should the government regulate these platforms, and how should the internet be regulated? And um, <laughs> I don't know where to start exactly, other than you know we can start here. What should be done, or what direction should we go? Is Section 230 necessary? Should it be revised? Is there another approach? How do we approach what you just described from 2018 and what has been exposed this week and what I'm sure has been going on for a lot longer? Where do we begin? Well, the first thing I'll say about that whistleblower is that was a very unusual whistleblower. She seems to be calling for more censorship and not less. Right. And I'll, I'll, I'll get on to the whistleblower later. First of all, I'll address what you said about the regulation because that's important. So uh, there's a lot of energy and momentum around the idea of implementing regulations on the internet at the moment. There's a lot of momentum around antitrust, there's a lot of momentum around Section 230. And it's important to remember that uh, while Republican voters are, you know, they clearly want regulation to stop, specifically to stop censorship, uh, the forces that are pushing regulation in Washington, D.C. right now, they, they aren't really interested in censorship at all. Mm. You have all of these... Uh, all these various forces uh, that are, you know, arrayed in D.C. around tech policy. You have Google and Facebook funding their own think tanks, funding their own advocacy organizations. Then you have companies that are, like, competing with Google and Facebook and Amazon that are funding their own advocacy organizations. And those organizations are pushing reform of the tech section 230. They are pushing regulation um, that would uh, rein in big tech. But none of these regulations would really address the censorship issue. Right. And some of the proposed regulations would even make censorship worse. So one of the one of the worst organizations in D.C. right now is something called the New Media Alliance. Uh, and that's an umbrella group that represents all of the big media companies, all of the establishment media. And uh, they're pushing a law called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act that would give companies like CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times an exemption from antitrust law Mm. That would allow them to form a cartel for the specific purpose of pressuring tech companies for special favors and for special treatment in their algorithms. So that would lead to even more favoritism um, from big tech to the mainstream media. We've already seen that favoritism, how they you know, promote the New York Times, how they promote the establishment media on feeds. This law would make that even worse. So this is something that Republicans need to be aware of. Just because a new bill comes along that says it's anti-big tech, just because it's a new initiative or a whistleblower comes forward saying they're anti-big tech, doesn't mean they're going to make the problem better, uh, solve the problem. They might be trying to make the problem worse. Yeah, right. And, 
And that's what this, that's what the space of whistleblower was calling for. She was calling for more censorship, not less. This is a, I think, a very difficult topic, particularly for conservatives, because on one hand, a true conservative says, I want as much government out of my life as possible. I don't want to even know the government exists if I don't have to. But on the other hand, we come to issues like this one and we say, well, we want at least some degree of regulation. Um, we want the, we, we at least want the internet to be regulated to the extent that there's not uh, access to pornography or child pornography or some of these other things. That has to be regulated. So we, we want some regulation based on my view of morality as a conservative. So because I believe this as a conservative, that should be regulated. Well, the left has a sense of morality as well. I may not agree with it, but they have a sense of morality. And it would say, well, we need to censor out people like Donald Trump, and we need to censor out other things because it's also harmful. How do you strike a balance when you talk about government regulation when it comes to something like this? It's very, very difficult, very confusing for uh, a conservative uh, to understand. Well, I think that the kind of regulation that ordinary Republicans want is actually very simple. They simply want to, uh, you know, they're, they're not that interested in, uh, in fighting fake news or fighting disinformation with all of the other forces that uh, Democrat proponents of tech regulation are talking about. What they want is actually the other, that they want to be able to go on and make their own decisions about what they see and what they don't see. They want to be able to go on these platforms and talk about the most important political issues of the day, whether that's COVID-19, whether that's, uh, you know, fair, free and fair elections, and voter fraud, whether that's, um, you know, issues around race and gender. And these are precisely the issues that uh, get shut down most often by the tech drive and result in people having their accounts shut down, uh, losing years and years of work that they put into these accounts. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's one, one thing to say that, you know, you should have a light-touch regulatory approach whenever possible. You shouldn't want bureaucrats overseeing everything. I generally agree with that, especially because, you know, the bureaucrats often end up with their own political agendas. Um, but at the same time, uh, many people in the modern world, a growing number of people actually, especially with the lockdown, their entire livelihood, their entire business depends on access to platforms like Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. And currently, under the current regulatory regime, those platforms can take everything away from those small businesses. Yeah with no notice, with no recourse. Uh, you can't take them to court because of Section 230. Um, and, you know, people can lose their entire business overnight, and that's simply an untenable position for, I think, business owners to be in. Uh, even if the tech companies weren't abusing that power, that would be an untenable position, but they are abusing that power. So, yes. you know, many people have actually lost their entire livelihood because of arbitrary action by the tech giants. I think that is the issue that needs to be addressed, not disinformation, not these other I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women 
to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. Uh, it's been uh, it's been interesting to watch this conversation unfold, particularly this week again. Um, it, it seems like when the election was taking place, or it feels like when the election was taking place, conservatives were calling for a reformation of Section 230. On this side of it this week, the same conservatives are screaming about we're regulating too much. We need to uh, reinforce 230. And this has been a back and forth, and I think it depends on what side you're on. If 230 were removed, and you know, I think there's arguments for both, if 230 were removed, what, what's the collateral damage that would be experienced there? Well, I, I, I don't agree with removing 230 altogether. I think that's a terrible idea. I think the 230 reform suggested by the Facebook whistleblower in which they're held liable for their algorithms is also a terrible idea. Uh, this is a very complicated problem, so it's important that people understand it. There are there are good ways to reform Section 230, and there are very, very bad ways to reform Section 230. You can reform it in a way that gives users more rights, that makes it harder to censor ordinary users, and you can reform it in a way that actually makes censorship much more likely to happen. And um, what's happening right now, with the reason you, we, we saw that shift that you talked about, is precisely because power changed in Washington. Now right. the Democrats control Congress and the Senate, and the people who want Section 230 reform uh, are tailoring their proposals to the Democrats. They know the Democrats want to crack down on so-called disinformation. So the 230 reform efforts you're hearing about right now are 230 reform efforts. That would make censorship more likely. Now, when Republicans at least had the Senate, then you would occasionally sure. hear more proposals like, well, let's reform Section 230 so that people can take uh, social media platforms to court if they get censored. And that's a good idea. I, I support that. Um, so I'll, I'll drill down for, for a second on what Please. Section 230 actually is. Uh, so Section 230 uh, does two very important things. One, it gives social media platforms and other online services um, a safe harbor from lawsuits related to defamation and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and essentially any, any other civil claim as a result of user-generated content. So Twitter can't be held liable for something that another person tweets on their platform. Sure, sure. YouTube can't be held liable for something that someone puts in a video and uploads to YouTube. And that kind of makes sense because, you know, these platforms are hosting, yep. you know, millions, billions of posts, billions yep. of videos. If, if they were held liable for all of that, their business model would make sense. Uh, the problem is uh, they're also given immunity for lawsuits that arise from removing or moderating and that part of Section 230 I never agree with because when a platform makes a decision to take down content yeah. that's protected by the First Amendment, um, then uh, that's, that's a decision they've made. That's an editorial decision. They shouldn't really have uh, an exemption for that. Um, and by the way, you know, people often, another thing that confuses people is that, you know, oftentimes people who are campaigning against Section 230, lobbyists are opposed to it. Uh, they'll say, well, uh, you know, there's all sorts of illegal material on uh, on Facebook, sure, all sorts of sure. illegal material on Twitter, that's why we need to reform Section 230. So, 
Section 230 does not protect illegal vicarious. Sure, right. If, right. If, if it's if already a, illegal. It's already illegal, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if a, you don't need Section 230 to address that. If, if a platform is hosting illegal material, and some of them do, then they're already liable for that. Right. Um, but uh, oftentimes what we see in today's, uh, in today's world with you know, very politically biased institutions is that Twitter and Facebook and these other platforms are given a free pass for hosting illegal material, for hosting threats of violence, actually. Whereas competing platforms like Parler, they're immediately kicked off uh, things like the Apple App Store yeah. or the Google Play Store yeah. uh, for, you know, if, if, if that content appears even once. So there are lots of double standards in how that standard uh, is enforced. Uh, how how would you recommend to uh, legislators, you know, that, that you have the opportunity to talk to? How would you recommend they think about this, and that they then go forward? It's it's again, it's crazy, it's predictable, but there's this knee jerk reaction from everyone. And after the hearing this week, um, it seems like both sides at least agreed that something needed to be done, and probably with very little information, they came up with solutions. Uh, what would you recommend as a process for moving forward? How do we move forward in the right way? So that we have access to information, but we're also protected from you know those things that are illegal and hurtful. Well, the only um, the only bipartisan thing that can happen in DC at the moment is essentially transparency, giving users more uh, insight into how the decisions inside these tech companies get right. made. I think that's the only thing that both sides can agree on right yeah, now. Sure. What, <laughs> sure. I, what, what I would like to see is more laws like uh, the law passed recently in Texas, uh, which give users the right. A, a private right of action against tech companies. Mm. So if a tech company takes down your account, uh, you know, for various reasons, you can take them to court and you can, uh, one, get the account reinstated and also back uh, the damages. Um, that, I think, is an important check on the ability of tech companies to, uh, to shut down people overnight. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get to the whistleblower, the Facebook whistleblower, because like, this, this is very important because uh, there have been other Facebook whistleblowers. So numerous Facebook whistleblowers came forward to Project Veritas yeah. uh, in the past yep. few years. Uh, Facebook whistleblowers came forward to me. They gave me a list uh, of Facebook so-called take agents, hmm. which is a list of prom- politically prominent individuals that Facebook monitors for potential right. censorship. So we've had Facebook whistleblowers before, but uh, none of those Facebook whistleblowers were ever given a, like a 60 minutes interview. They weren't sent into a celebrity by the media. They weren't invited before the Senate. Right. And uh, there's a reason for that. All those other Facebook whistleblowers objected to censorship. They were, they were blowing the whistle on Facebook's emerging censorship regime, on its on bias against conservatives, on its political bias. And of course, they were, these whistleblowers were completely ignored by the uh, establishment media. Uh, Francis Hagen was not ignored because what Francis Hagen is calling for is is more censorship, not less. She wants to uh, to shut down the mechanisms of virality uh, that allow ordinary people to, to you know go online, go on social yeah. media, and compete with CNN. I mean, right. Even even today, with like censorship, it's still possible for someone to make a YouTube account right. and you know get a million views overnight. And yeah. you have to, that's extremely threatening to CNN. And to you know mainstream broadcast platform, that someone can just do that with a webcam and a laptop. Yeah. Yeah, it's always been a threat. And Francis Hagen is you know proposing solutions that would get rid of that entire system. Another thing to remember about this whistleblower is she worked for Facebook's uh, so-called Civil Integrity Unit, and that was the unit inside Facebook that was charged with overseeing the 2020 election mm. and cracking down on so-called disinformation. Mm. So it was essentially an election interference unit. 
And uh, it's exactly the same unit, by the way, that would have been involved in the decision to send to the New York Post reporting about Hunter Biden. Interesting. Um, and I think the most revealing part of uh, Hagen's entire testimony was uh, when she revealed why she left Facebook. She left Facebook because Facebook wound down that civic integrity unit right after the election, which is extremely telling because, you know, why would they wind it down after right. the election? Probably, <laughs> right, right. probably because it's done its job, which is to, you know, stop Donald Trump being reelected. Yeah. Um, and this actually confirms what a different Facebook whistleblower told me in 2019, which is that all of the uh, initiatives against so-called disinformation and all of the initiatives to protect so-called election integrity that Facebook set up between 2016 and 2020, all of those efforts were, were, were uh, proposed, staffed, and led by the most anti-Trump people at the company. Yeah. And uh, you can definitely, uh, I, I can definitely believe that when I was you know, listening to uh, Francis Hagen's testimony. What is the um, the path forward for conservatives? It, there's a huge call right now in the conservative community to abandon platforms like Facebook and YouTube and Instagram to go to places like Parler and Gab and uh, you know some of the less regulated video platforms like Tubi and whatever. Um, is that the answer? It's just we we can't do anything about this anymore. It's gotten too big. It's unwieldy. It's out of control. Let's go somewhere else. Or is it we continue to keep our head down and fight the good fight and get as much good information out there as we can? Uh, from your I, perspective, what's the right path for us? I think uh, you should be on as many platforms as possible. Good. Um, there's, uh, there's, if, you're, if, you just have, if you're a video creator and you only have videos on YouTube and you don't also have them on Rumble and you're taking a big risk that YouTube will one day come in and shut you down, um, I don't think you should boycott uh, Facebook or YouTube or any of the mainstream platforms. I think if, you're, if you have access, you should use that access because the problem with, with simply going to Parler and uh, Getter and leaving the mainstream platform yeah. is that you're essentially ghettoizing yourself. Right, that's right. Uh, you're going to be preaching just to the choir. You're not actually going to be changing any minds because it's only conservative, mainly just conservative to use the platforms at the moment. It's good to be on those platforms as well as a kind of backup if you get centered on the mainstream platform. Mm. But I think you should be on the mainstream platforms as well. And ultimately, what conservatives want is um, is regulation. They do want some standards uh, that allow them a kind of you know the ability to you know at the very least do these tech platforms. Yeah. Uh, because right now the power imbalance between you know these platforms can take away everything from you overnight and ordinary use is simply yeah. too vast. So that my view is conservatives do need industry wide regulation to protect. Everyone needs industry wide regulation sure. to protect. Sure. But it needs to be the right kind of regulation. And the problem with the current situation is that many of the anti-big tech uh, bandwagons that are coming along, while Democrats control everything in Washington, are going to be really, really bad totals. Right. And uh, this, uh, this Facebook whistleblower's uh, suggestions is one, one more example of that. Yeah. Man, Alan, thank you so much. There's a, there's a lot here. Um, I appreciate you breaking so much of that down. Uh, I get confused about this. We spend a lot of time doing this and talking about platforms and where we should be and how we should be, and sometimes I get mad. And so <laughs> It's really difficult to know how you should feel, what you should think, and um, I think you're exactly right. It's, it's understanding. It's being clear on what is happening, having you know, common sense uh, reforms where they're needed, being on as many platforms as possible. Um, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Where can people uh, follow your work? And uh, I know you write often and speak on this often. 
Uh, yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's great to be able to discuss these issues at length. And uh, if you want to find my work, you can find me on uh, Breitbart.com, Breitbart News. Uh, I write there every day. Uh, you can also find my book. It's called Hashtag Deleted, Big Text Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election. You can great. find it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and various other book uh, retailers. You can also find me on Twitter at Libertarian Blue. You can find me on uh, Parler at Alan B, on Gab.com at AB, uh, and on Getter. Uh, so many, many places. That's awesome. On all the platforms. All the platforms. You're taking your own advice, and I appreciate that. Uh, man, that's awesome. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully we can we can talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Great conversation, and uh, a conversation that all of us need to be having and really strive to understand. And this is the complicated thing for people like me, at least. Uh, I have a hard time turning on my television if my kids aren't around to work the remote, because things are complicated. These are complicated issues, but they're issues that impact all of our lives. Uh, perhaps when we talk about navigating a culture that is ever-changing, one of the best things we can do on this show is connect you to the right people. And one of those right people is Alan Bakari. And uh, man, go check out his daily uh, postings, his daily blog uh, on Breitbart. Follow him. These are the kind of voices that we need. They, they provide clarity in a sea that is so often uh, foggy and confusing. But a couple of takeaways for me, and this is today's situation report. Number one, when we talk about regulation, we need to consider who it is at this moment that's calling for regulation. Uh, as we discussed a little bit in the interview, prior to the election, even President Trump was calling for a redefining or a reworking or even a removal of Section 230, uh, understanding that the folks who would be controlling that and making that happen are people who value things like the First Amendment and free speech. Uh, now, on the other side, there are others calling for regulation and in many cases, again, as it was brought to light in the interview, uh, many of the folks who are calling for regulation are regular, what we might call legacy media companies, uh, large companies, cable companies who want to protect their own interest. They don't like the fact that they are competing with people like us competing with people who, from their own home, if they've got a good product and they've got something to say with a camera and an internet connection, can compete directly with them. So we need to be very aware of who it is that's calling for regulation. That's the starting point. The second point that was made is this one. As we consider, as conservatives, regulation, we often just instinctively or intuitively push back. But regulation is needed. Everywhere in our lives, we, even as conservatives, value regulation. We don't want people doing whatever it is that they want to do, wherever it is they want to do it. Regulation needs to happen, but it must be a common sense regulation. Regulations that protect those protections found in our Constitution. A novel idea, I know. Uh, but regulations that protect those that protect the innocent, those that shouldn't have access perhaps to some types of content. As Alum said, those things that are illegal are still illegal. <laughs> we need to protect against those, of course, but there needs to be regulation. But the type of regulation that is common sense, that protects what we value as Americans. And then finally, I asked the question, and this is a question that I've been confronted with over and over and over again, what do we do? Do we abandon Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and the mainstream social media platforms for something else? The answer really should be no. 
if we believe we can fight in the war of ideas and ideals, then we need to be where people are. We need to be also in places that protect our own self-interest. So the answer is, where should I be? Be everywhere. And if you're everywhere, then you'll be safe. You'll have a voice where you need to have a voice, but you'll have backup when you, perhaps, <laughs> because of your voice, have to deal with some repercussions. Be everywhere. Great points. There's so much more to this. A very, very deep topic. And uh, I encourage you once again, uh, go and check out the work on Breitbart.com. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And look forward to talking to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.